I hope that is your, your prayer today, that Christ is your cornerstone, your rock. Uh, now, more than ever, uh, just as we're going through 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the resurrection and that one day when we will stand before God in Christ's righteousness, that is good. That is good news. So welcome to the Hills Church. I'm Matthew, one of the pastors here, and we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, normally, if we're all gathered, this would be the time that we would, we would turn and have that awkward moment of greeting one another and uh, shaking hands, hugging, um, and, and checking in on one another. We can't do that, but I do encourage you to, uh, to comment in the comments, say hey to one another if you haven't done that. Um, now, I, I can't believe that, that today marks eight weeks of us meeting like this. I mean, next week is, is Mother's Day. I, I can't believe it. Um, this, this quarantine seems to have both sped up time and made it feel slower at the same time. Like, I feel like it's still March, uh, but, but here we are in May already. Um, and, and obviously, this is going to be a different kind of Mother's Day. Uh, most of us aren't going to be able to do what we normally do. You may not even be able to, to be around your mom. Uh, we're not supposed to be, to be getting out. I mean, hopefully we can get, out, get outside a little bit, but just, it's, it's, just, it's just different. And we've been thinking about how as a church that we can still honor our mothers and honor the, the ladies in our lives. And, and so what we're going to do while still practicing good social distancing is that uh, Elora has created a very uh, nice uh, photo backdrop. And we're going to set that up on our porch uh, right out here. And um, on Mother's Day, from 11 a.m. till 6 p.m., you can come. It'll, so it'll be a backdrop. And from 1 to 3, we'll have uh, some photographers who will help us out. But in the other times, it'll just be a, kind of a selfie station. We'll have a, a place where you can set up your phone and uh, disinfectant wipes, of course. Um, and, but we want you to, to come. You can park right on, on Monaco. We're just two houses north of uh, MLK, uh, 3222 Monaco. Uh, but come, bring, bring your family, or, or come by yourself and get a nice, nice picture. Uh, but we want to honor moms next week. Uh, so our check-in question today, I'm actually going to provide uh, three questions. We're up in our game here. Uh, like I said, we're eight weeks in. And so today, you have an option of, of three questions to answer there in, in the comments, if if you're willing to, um, if you're comfortable doing that. So here are the three questions. And just, just pick from one of these. What has COVID taken from me? A second question, what has COVID not taken from me? And the last question is, uh, what has COVID given to me? So what, what has it taken from me? What has it not taken from me? What has it given me? And we asked that first question, what has COVID taken from me? Just so we can name and acknowledge what we've lost in, in this time of, of quarantine. Um, whether, it, whether it's big or small, you know, I've heard people almost apologetic that they have been, um, you know, s- scarcely impacted when they compare themselves to others. Don't, don't worry about that. Um, I mean, don't, you don't have to suppress what, what you've lost. It may not be as big as someone else, but to, I think there's something healing in, in naming what we, we have lost. Uh, the second question, what is COVID not taking from me? This is a question that um, I hope invokes gratefulness, um, uh, thankfulness, and, and just think over the, the past week, the past month, what has COVID not taken from you? Uh, for me, 
Uh, I'm so thankful for my family's health. Like everyone is, is doing well. The, the kids, you know, they're getting some physical exercise every day and we're making them get outside and play in the, in the backyard and, and they're, they're strong. They're, they're, they're doing well. Um, and I, I saw an article from the Harvard Medical School. Uh, now, I'm not regularly reading articles from the Harvard Medical School, but I was doing some research on gratitude and they found that there is a connection. They looked at a bunch of studies um, there is a connection, an association between gratitude and your well-being. Like the two are connected. The more grateful you are, the better you are physically and mentally. And so this question just, uh, again, helping us be, be healthy mentally. And that final question, what has COVID given to me? Um, and this helps us see the, the blessings of God, even in a pandemic. Right? Um, and then maybe you, you want to change up the question. Maybe you don't want to say, what has COVID given me? But what, is, what has God given me through this pandemic? It's a little bit different way of asking it. But, but what is God teaching me? What is God revealing to me? And just identifying what God has, has given to us as a result of this pandemic that may not have otherwise come to us. And so uh, for me, one of the things that, that this time of quarantine has helped me with is just, just reprioritizing my life, like what's important. And when we come out of this, the things that, that I want to do and, and make a priority in, in my life. So I encourage you to just take a minute, answer one of those questions in the comments. And if you answer two of those questions, gold star, gold star, put it right there. <laughs> uh, no, but, um, and, and these are questions that you can return to throughout the week. And you can journal through these questions as a family, just kind of a nightly check-in that you can do. Walking through these these questions, I think, uh, will help us with just uh, our mental well-being. If if you're a guest, we'd love to connect with you. There's a a link in the comments just to a short form where you can just give us a little bit of information about yourself. And if you do that while we're live, we'll donate $5 uh, to Project Rescue, which is an initiative to... Um, to fight against human trafficking. And so it's, it's a win-win. We get to know a little bit about you, and, and we'll also um, donate to, to Project Rescue. So we've been studying 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 since Easter, and to just give a, a brief recap, uh, 1 Corinthians, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and this, this church in Corinth was a very eclectic, very diverse group of immature Christians. And they're immature Christians because they haven't been following Jesus that long. And they come from these, these various backgrounds and various religious backgrounds. So they are just trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. And one of their, their areas of immaturity is in their understanding of the resurrection. Like some are, are doubting it and, and they think that it's already passed, but, but nobody has been raised yet. And, and Paul wants to make sure um, that they are absolutely certain that they are um, that the resurrection is the core of Christianity. Like no resurrection, no Christianity. And, and so throughout chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, just time and time again, he just keeps hammering this home. If, if, if there is no, no resurrection, then there is no Christianity. And the whole point of 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul wants them, he wants to teach the church, he wants to teach us that the resurrection should be the, the anchor for all that we believe. And it should be the, the motivation for how we live in the world, the, the anchor for what we believe and the motivation for how we live in the world because it's the resurrection that changes everything. It's the resurrection that changes everything. And this is my hope for us as, as well, that, that we would become resurrection 
people. And so we're, when we talk about resurrection, we're doing more than just sorting out um, what's happened to those who have died in Christ, and, and more than just figuring out what happens to us when, when we die. Uh, but it's, it's thinking about what God is doing in the world. Like, what is he doing now in light of the resurrection and in his, his greater purposes? And so, uh, so, so far in, in this chapter, we've, we've seen a few things. One is that the resurrection means that something new has entered into the world. Something new has come into the world. If, uh, if the resurrection didn't happen, then everything we're doing is just a joke at best. And it's fraudulent at worst. If the resurrection did not happen, it's a, a joke at best, fraudulent at worst. Uh, and then last week, we looked at how the resurrection brings healing to our past, hope for our future, and the very presence of Christ in the presence. And so today we're continuing this series of talks um, that we've called Res- Words of Resurrection in the Face of Death. Words of Resurrection in the Face of Death. And we're going to begin in verse 20. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is just another way of saying for those who have died. And, and Paul brings in a term that's very familiar in the Old Testament. The first fruits was the, just the first part of the crops that was the, the promise of more to come. Like it, it was an example of, of what was coming, and also it looked forward in anticipation. And, and so Paul is saying that Jesus' resurrection is, is a preliminary statement. It's an example. It's a guarantee of more to come. That's what it means when it says he was the first fruits. In verse 21, it says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And, and here's, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that, that death came through one man, Adam, because of his disobedience, and in Adam we all die. Now, now theologians will, will term this, uh, this, they call this the original sin. Or original sin, if you had to put a, a definition on it, is simply the sin and its guilt that we all possess in God's eyes, as a direct result of Adam's sin in the garden. So it's, it's sin and, and it's guilt that we have because of what Adam did uh, however long ago. And now, as Westerners, that, that doesn't sit well with us. Like, that doesn't sit... I, I want to push back against that. Like, I, I'm guilty because he's guilty? Like, you got, you got the wrong person. I'm innocent. Uh, and so we, we like our individual... Are just we push back against that because of our individualism, and um, and we don't we don't have time to un- unpack the the doctrine of original sin today. I do want to say just just a couple things that I think will help us. So even if you don't want to buy into the the doctrine of original sin, how about the doctrine of current sin? Like we don't we want to push back against original sin, but what about current sin? Like your current sin, like you have sinned. I have sinned. So even if you want to reject original sin, which I don't think you, you do because of what I'm going to say next, but even if you do, like, you're still sinful. Like, we still all have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of God's standard. Um, so, and then second, so in the same way that sin has done uh, damage to all of us and, and to creation as a result, a direct result, of, of Adam's sin, Jesus' righteousness 
is available to all of us as a direct result of what Christ has done on our behalf. So, so think of it like a family tree. You've got the Adam family tree, and you've got the Jesus family tree. And, and we all are under an Adam family tree. And, and, our, and Adam sinned, and so all of Adam's descendants uh, bear the consequences of that sin. Like we still have that, that sin in our spiritual DNA. It's, it's part of, of who we are. Uh, however, we also have one person in Christ and in his resurrection that, that brings life for all those who are in Christ. And I had a professor in, in seminary that uh, he talked about it this way, and he went up on the whiteboard, and he, he drew two circles, he, and he put Adam in this circle over here, and then he came over here, and he put Christ in this circle right here. I'm pretty good at drawing backwards, right? Um, and, and, and what he said was that corporately, there have only ever been two humans. And I, I'd never heard that before. I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? And in, in these circles, so he had the, the Adam circle and the Jesus circle. And he says, you are by nature in, in the Adam circle. That is where, where death is and where sin reigns. And then you have a Jesus also being uh, a representative of humanity. So Adam was a representative of humanity and Jesus is a representative, the, the one who, who did not fail where Adam failed. He was the, the true human. And, and so uh, the, the good news is that you don't have to stay in the, in the Adam family that, that is where, where sin and, and death reign. Um, and so the next time you read through Paul's letters in the New Testament, especially like Romans chapter 5, just maybe in your Bible underlined every time that it says, in Christ. And, and you'll it's there more, more than you think it is because you are either in Adam, being represented by Adam, or you are in Christ. You, are, uh, you belong to the, the body of Christ. And uh, you're on, you could say, you're either on Team Adam or uh, Team Jesus. <laughs> when I, uh, I don't know, for some reason, I just thought when I think of Team Jesus, I think of that, uh, oh man, there was a, a vampire series a few years ago. Najee, what was that? The vampire series? I don't know. Adam? Oh, Twilight. Tw- Twilight. Twilight. So I, 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 for some reason, I knew Najee would know. Uh, don't, don't, say, don't blame Taylor. <laughs> don't blame Taylor. Um, right, right, because they had uh, Team Jacob and, and Team uh, Sparkly Guy. I don't, uh, anyway, I'm embarrassed to say I know that, that much. But uh, uh, we, uh, where are we at? <laughs> okay. And... My high school basketball coach, uh, Scott Vaughn, he, he now coaches, or he now works for the, the Golden State Warriors. And his job for the Warriors is to, to go and scout out the upcoming opponents. And so he'll, he'll go to games, he'll watch film, and his job is to, um, to write down their plays, and to see who comes in and, and what personnel they have on the floor, and, and then what type of plays they run, and if they're throwing the ball in from you know, the sideline, what they're going to do. If there's a minute left, what are their go-to plays? Uh, I'm even, even studying the players. Like, where does that player like to shoot on the floor? Does he go right? Does he go left? How does it? So he goes over all that, brings that information back uh, to the team, to the coach, and, and the coach uses that in their strategy. Now, for the last five years, the Warriors have been, been pretty good. This year, not so much. But they have been in the championship for the last five years, which is 
it's pretty incredible uh, for any, in any major sport for a team to be in the championship five years in a row. And then they've won three of those five years. And, and Coach Vaughn, he has a, a championship ring. And now he didn't. He didn't make one basket for the team. Uh, he didn't, he doesn't have, I mean, no points, no, no rebounds, no assists, no steals. Yet he gets a ring. Why? Because he's part of Team Warriors. And, and my analogy breaks down because while he did help with the strategy and coaching on the bench at times, there is nothing that you can do that we can do to help Christ defeat sin and death. But we, but we don't have to, right? He's already done it. Paul says, in Christ, all will be made alive. In Christ, all will be made alive. And, and do you know who will be made alive in Christ without any effort of their own? You and me. When we, when we are in Christ, when we put our trust in Him. And so this is not just a vague and, and fuzzy optimism that somehow things may work out in the end. Yeah. This, this is a sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead. So, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, verse 23. But each in turn, like there's an order, Paul says, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Christ the firstfruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. And so Paul, he returns to this idea of the firstfruits, and he's saying that not only is Jesus an example of how we will be raised from the dead, but his, his resurrection is actually, actually the beginning of the future resurrection itself. So listen to that carefully. His resurrection is actually the beginning of the resurrection itself. And this is just a subtle uh, distinction here. So his resurrection isn't just the the paradigm, an example of what will happen. It is the first step in a two-step process. It's the first step in the two-step process. And the second step, the second step is the resurrection of those who are in Christ. And and so while there's two steps here, it's, it's all connected from beginning to end. It's connected from beginning to end. And the first step has already happened, Christ's resurrection. And without it, there is no second step. Without Christ's resurrection, there is no second step. And that's the point. And Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of of this promise of a new creation and a resurrection for those who are in him. And so we are currently living in between uh, the first step and the second step. Um, And and that's where where we find ourselves our resurrection hasn't happened yet. Uh, if it has, like, like I want a refund. You know, I want I want my money back. Like this, is, it, it's just not that good, right? Um, and I hope if you've followed Christ for a while, that what you're hearing is not is not something new to you. If it if it is, that's that's okay. But this is what I call just basic historical orthodox Christian uh, belief, Christian doctrine. Now that said, in the first century, this, this idea, this two-step process of, of resurrection was uh, completely uh, novel. It was, uh, it was unique. There, there was nothing like this that, that, is, um, that we, we have in history for comparison. Not even Jesus' closest followers were expecting Jesus to rise from the dead as he did. They, they weren't. Um, now, it's true that there were some Jews at the time that believed in the re- a resurrection, not, not all of the Jews, it wasn't universal among the Jews, but a, a resurrection, a general resurrection of the dead um, af, after you died, 
Like they believe that God would look after your soul, and then uh, at the end, God would, would resurrect us with new bodies when he judged and when he remade the world. So there was this idea that at the end there would be um, this, this resurrection. And, and that's what we see. Uh, Jesus had a friend who died, Lazarus. And, and Jesus, uh, he goes in and visits the family. And, and Lazarus' sister, Martha, comes to Jesus. And Jesus is talking about the resurrection. And Martha says, I, I know Jesus that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Because that was a thought. Like, yes, people are going to die. And then somewhere in the, in the future, we will be resurrected. And so when Jesus talks about his death and resurrection with his followers, they, they have no idea what he's talking about. You can see that in Mark 9 and the transfiguration. Jesus uh, brings his closest disciples with him and they're, and they're on the mountain and he's transfigured and he's like, it's just crazy scene where it seems like his skin is glowing and the heavens open up and, and disciples don't know what to think of it. And Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone about this until after my death and resurrection. And then in the next verse, it says, the disciples are like, okay, what's the resurrection? Like, what's he talking about? How can he be talking about his, his resurrection? Because they, they didn't, nobody rises from the dead. And, and they didn't um, think, well, you know, if he dies, that's all right. He's got to go and save us. And then he'll rise soon after that. Um, it wasn't that they didn't believe in resurrection. It was that they never thought that it, it was something that would happen to one person ahead of everybody else. Um, and the, but that's what Paul is, is saying here in, in 1 Corinthians 15, because the, the crucifixion was the end. It was the end of their hopes. Uh, nobody dreamed of saying, oh, that's all right, he'll be back in a few days, or, well, at least now he's in heaven with God. Um, they were not looking for that sort of, of kingdom. In fact, after Jesus was raised, he's walking along the road to Emmaus with a couple of disciples. They don't recognize him at, at the moment. And, and they were talking about Jesus, and they said... Um, we had hoped that he would be the one who would redeem Israel. We had hoped. The implication is they don't hope anymore. Like a crucified Messiah uh, is, is no Messiah at all. And so Jesus' death in that moment for Jesus' followers meant that Jesus was not the Messiah, that Rome was still in charge, and that uh, the kingdom had not come. So no one was expecting someone to rise from the dead in the middle of the story, in the middle of history. Even uh, for those Jews who believed in the resurrection, it was a large-scale event happening to all of God's people. And so um, the disciples, they were not expecting Jesus to be raised from the dead all by himself in the middle of history. Yeah, that's exactly what Paul says is, is happening uh, or what he, he says in, in these verses. And, and so when, when Paul in the early church said that Jesus had risen from the dead, they knew they were saying something had happened to him that had not happened to anybody else. And something had happened to him that no one expected. And we never find in around the first century, before or after this, we never find outside of Christianity what, that which becomes a central truth in Christianity is that one person would rise in the middle of history in advance of the great final occurrence which again, it anticipated our resurrection and it was, it was the guarantee of our resurrection. And so that's what Paul's saying in verse 23, but each in turn, other translations say, in, each in their, their order, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. When he comes. Because Christ has been raised, we can be sure of our resurrection when Christ 
comes. Verse 24 says, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. These are good verses. These are, this is good news. And just a, a couple things about these verses. First is that God's kingdom here doesn't refer to someplace we go when we die nor is it an escape from our world into another one. But it's God's sovereign rule coming on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus taught us to pray, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's, It's one of the most powerful and revolutionary prayers that we can pray. A prayer that was answered at the first Easter powerfully, but will be fully answered when heaven and earth are joined together in the new Jerusalem. So the second thing Paul is saying here is that Jesus is raised, so he is Messiah. He is the world's true Lord and King. Jesus is King. Right now, he is reigning. Jesus is raised, and so God's new creation has begun. Third, he's saying that Jesus' kingdom, his kingship, has not fully come. He says he must reign until. It implies that he's not yet... Uh, but it's not yet, it's not yet finished. The, 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 there's still more that, that Jesus will do. So Jesus is king already, but all of his enemies are not yet subjected to him. Mm. Jesus is king already, but all of his enemies are not yet subjected to him. For example, Jesus has been raised from the dead, so he has conquered death. However, I have not conquered death, and, and I'm, I'm going to die. I mean, most, most people do right? That is the, the uh, story of, of history. And, and so we, we still die, and death is still an enemy to be defeated. And so we live in this tension. We live in the in-between, and we get to partner with Jesus in building for his coming kingdom. I love how one of the, the foremost uh, New Testament scholars of our time, Tom Wright, puts it. He said, our task is to live as resurrection people in between There it is, the the already and the not yet. In between Easter and the final day, with our Christian life, corporate and individual, in both worship and mission, as a sign of the first and a foretaste of the second. As a sign of the first and a foretaste of the second. So in other words, our lives as resurrection people is, is to be a sign of Jesus' resurrection to the world. And in the world, I mean, that, that's a lot. Think, think about that. How is your life currently a sign? How does it point to the resurrection of Jesus? I mean, how is your life a foretaste of the coming kingdom? Like, like right, right now, how, how are you displaying the resurrection of Jesus in your life? And we're going to look a little bit more at that question next week. And so... Uh, it is, it is the resurrection that gives us the, the fuel for our present work. So verse, verse 28, and this will conclude here. Verse 28 says, when he has done this, when he has defeated death, when he has defeated the, the authorities and the power we saw in the previous verses, then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. There's another paraphrase of, of this verse. 
It says, when everything and everyone is finally under God's rule, the son will step down, taking his place with everyone else, showing that God's rule is absolutely comprehensive, a perfect ending. God all in all. And when Jewish writers wrote about God being all in all, it wasn't like uh, they were saying there was the divine spark in everything or like a pantheistic worldview. It was, it was to say that, that God was creator and ruler of all, that the first fruits of the resurrection will eventually lead, lead to the full fruits of Christ's redemption. The first fruits of the resurrection will eventually lead to the full fruits of Christ's redemption. And so uh, while the resurrection makes possible our forgiveness and our, our individual transformation and us being made new, that, that's just a, a portion of what Christ and his redemption means. Um, and, and that is good news. But the end result is that God would be all in all and would receive praise and, and honor. Romans eleven thirty six says, from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Um, in just a moment, we're going to move to a time of communion. And as we we're going through the, these, these verses, I hope that one of the things that you are taking away is that, that Jesus is bringing, um, bringing God's kingdom and that at the last day that God will receive the praise and the honor and the worship, that we will stand before him and give him uh, the praise that, that he deserves. Um, and we're going to move to a time of, of communion. And um, if you need to go, go grab what you need for, for communion. I've heard that some people are being very creative in their communion, which is it's great. It's, uh, it's, it's, fan, it's fantastic. Um, a communion, it's called the, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. Uh, it's, it's a holy sacrament. It's a means of grace that, that Jesus has given to us and. Um, before we take communion, Najee's going to play and, and sing just a bit of the song that we sang earlier. Looking forward to that day when we see Christ, when he is exalted above every name. And if you, uh, today as, as we're talking, and you have, um, you're not certain, like if you are in Adam or you are in Christ, um, and you need Today could be the day where you put your allegiance in Christ and say, Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead. Forgive me for my sins. I want to follow you. I want to be in your family where there's life and there's resurrection and there's hope and there's joy. You can do that today as, as we sing, as we take communion together. Just call out. Call out to Jesus and he'll hear you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved scripture says. And so Najee leads us, we just take a moment and, and reflect on the resurrection of our Savior.